This is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Steamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. Well, it is now official. They are in my best Roy Steele impersonation, your 2020 American League Western Division champion, Oakland Athletics. So we can do a little cheers to them. They didn't get to do much of their normal division-winning type celebrations. They were in hotel rooms separately, socially distanced when they learned that the Astros had lost to the Mariners and given them the crown on Monday night. And then they had to watch the Dodgers celebrate their own division-winning game against them on Tuesday, which doesn't really seem all that fair. But they still get the caps and they get the shirts and uh, hopefully can kind of take a few minutes to appreciate what is a pretty big uh, accomplishment to finally get back a division title for the first time since 2013. But Steve, as they head into this final week, I think it's going to be a lot more about rest and relaxation and getting ready for a postseason than it is about the outcomes of any of these six remaining games. Yeah, I think uh, we know now with Montas's start yesterday not going so well that uh, he's probably not going to be getting a start here in the postseason is my guess. So I think really what you're looking at right now in that three-game series, if it goes three, you're looking at Bassett or Lizardo or Lizardo and Bassett for those first two games. And then I'm guessing at this point, it's probably going to be Manaya in that third game, unless you know something else happens or if they go with fires or whatever. But other than that, yep, just stay healthy and, uh, and, and hope that you know, Pinder can come back and that everyone else uh, feels good. Loriano didn't play yesterday, so obviously he's dealing with something. Hopefully he can get back uh, to where he was before he had a suspension because he was great before then. Since then, not so much. And maybe there's some sort of lingering issue with him, and that's the reason why. Otherwise, they're relatively healthy other than the injuries we've talked about before in previous podcasts with Chapman and Puck. I think they're in a pretty good position. Playing the Dodgers is tough, but uh, it'll be fun to see how Manaya and Fires fare in the next two games. Yeah, and I, and I think the Frankie Montas thing is just sort of baffling at this point. I mean, you look at his radar gun readings, and he's actually, I, I noted, um, throwing slightly harder this month than he has had at any month in the rest of the season, even when he was throwing really well. So velocity's not the problem. You know, he claims that he's feeling good. But, uh, you know, with a neck and or a back issue, wherever they kind of technically landed that thing, it does and probably get pretty involved with extension. And maybe he's just not quite getting the normal extension on his pitches and therefore the normal amount of movement. But I think you're right. There's, there's certainly no way that they're going to turn to him in a best-of-three-game series to start off. Now, when it turns, if they do get past that series to the next one, I think the question becomes if you have – not a lot of off days and you need all five guys in your rotation do you go with him or do you go with Mike Miner and you know the A's hope to have that decision to have to make but it's an interesting question and the other question becomes you know Frankie Montas still does have tremendous stuff and a long history of also being a reliever do you put him in that bullpen mix or do you keep him off the postseason roster altogether so there's some big questions for them to kind of think about I think he'll probably get one more start over the weekend against Seattle and they can kind of sort all that out but for the rest of it it's just sort of shuffling the deck and I think we were kind of musing about this season is almost over now and it's kind of hard to believe because you're not even to a 60 game point yet and yet with six games or or five games whatever it may be the rest of this week remaining if you multiply that by the 2.7 multiplier we've been using all season you know it's like we're doing an end of season wrap in early September which is a little bit hard to believe, but uh, you know that's where we're at now. And I think if we're looking at 
you know, who sort of carried the burden for this team and, and brought them to the division title. My team MVP is Chris Bassett, and in, in a large part because of what we've just been talking about with Frankie Montas. So you had a rotation that was really built around the idea that Montas was going to be their number one starter. And then Jesus Lazardo was going to emerge as this guy that was sort of a revelation as a rookie. And you had some steady guys like Shamanaya and Mike Fires in there. But here, Chris Bassett has been the one steadying force of the whole rotation for the entire year. He carried them while Shamanaya was struggling in the beginning of the season. And then when Frankie Montas has fallen off, he's sort of taken over that number one. So I kind of have a tough time imagining what their rotation would have looked like if without Chris Bassett. And so he kind of gets my vote as, as team MVP. What about you, Steve? You know, I'm going to go the other way here on this one. I agree that none of the position players really, Olsen's probably the closest one, even though he's hitting under 200. He seems like the guys come up with the most clutch in terms of guys on base kind of pace hits and the power's been there. He's also played more games than everybody else and his first base defense is always impeccable. But, you know, I think really the bullpen has been the most valuable part of this team. And so I'm going to actually go to Liam Hendricks as my team MVP this year. And it's almost like a full bullpen award because I think it's pretty tough to leave out a guy like Diekman. Petit has been very valuable. Soria, Trevino's been better. Wendelkin, you know, McFarlane. All those guys have been great contributors. But, you know, Liam Hendricks, I mean, really since, for the most part, since the first outing of the season against the Angels when he uh, gave up a run and on a solo home run and, and had a blown save, he's been pretty much close to perfect. And he's pitched, you know, 22 innings, which in, in this season is, is not a small amount. And he's been by far the most dominant player just in the entire roster in general. So I'm going to go with Liam as my MVP. He has a 1.23 ERA. His FIP is 1.27. So it shows that really he's just out there just striking out guys and not giving up home runs for the most part. And uh, he's only giving up 4.9 hits per nine innings. So, you know, last year was a revelation year for, for Hendricks, who's been around the big leagues for a long time. May his first all-star team, you know, went into this year as a closer. And for the A's, it seems like that closer spot, you know, you'll have a guy that's really, really good for a year. And then you're kind of like, what's going to happen next year? I mean, Trinan was supposed to be the closer last year. And he had back injuries and, and problems throughout the season with location. Hendricks stepped in, was fantastic all year long. And then this year, he was arguably even better. Uh, he was pretty much unhittable as the year went on. And same exact strikeouts per night, Inks, 13.1. I don't know. I, I think for, for MVP, I'm, I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I mean, I think that is certainly a, a very legitimate call. And I think for me, I went with Bassett mostly just because of the extra burden that a, a starter carries and, and sort of being able to get so many innings on their shoulders and, and the fact that he sort of rose up from an unexpected position. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better season for your closer than Liam Hendricks is having unless his name was Dennis Eckersley. You know, it's uh, it's it's in that territory. You know, 32 strikeouts and three walks is pretty amazing. And one of them was intentional. So it tells you a lot about the command that he's had this season, which isn't always been his forte. Um, and I think that is an impressive part of what he's been able to do as well. 
well. You know, and the fact that he's able to generate the kind of energy to come into a ninth inning and close it out in a stadium where there's no people, I think is actually impressive because I, I do wonder how much that has played into, you know, some of the effectiveness of, of closers around the league. You don't have that adrenaline pull that you get from a crowd either cheering for you or against you. And you mentioned it briefly, but it's kind of worth noting too, and I hope I don't jinx him, but, you know, Jake Diekman's going through a season where he's right now not allowed an earned run or actually any run. I think he allowed one inherited runner to score um, in that game uh, against the Diamondbacks. But what he's been able to do coming off of uh, a half season or so with the A's last year after the trade deadline that was, you know, maybe not quite as impressive as you would have uh, liked to see from him. And he was even non-tendered and then re-signed after that is also really impressive. He's still walking more guys than you would like, but 26 strikeouts in just 18 and a third innings. He's only given up seven hits. And the fact that he's been able to adjust to this three batter minimum rule like it's nothing and he's been pitching well against both right-handers and left-handers has really allowed Bob Melvin to make the bullpen, you know, a weapon where it could have been kind of chaotic when you kind of look at what this rule change has done to a lot of teams. I think, you know, the A's have had a couple of games where they probably won them because a reliever that clearly didn't have it after one batter was had to be left in for three. They haven't had that issue in large part because the guy that you would be looking at as the one who you probably would have pulled early, Jake Diekman, has been so good. And so um, the value that he's brought in sort of studying that bullpen too has definitely been an important part of, of this team's success. You know, and the other thing you talk about the position players, I think it, you're right to mention Matt Olson and, you know, the sort of studying presence that he brings. The fact that he's out there every single day, I think just in and of itself is so undervalued. Um, he does these spectacular things every day. He's sort of the same guy, whether he's hitting well or not hitting well. That kind of carries over, I think, into what makes the clubhouse so cohesive. So, you know, obviously he hasn't had probably the season he would have envisioned um, if he were to write it all out, you know, at the start of this 60-game campaign, and yet his value sort of permeates the entire clubhouse. And to Diekman's point, too, the you're talking about him, you know, allowing an inherited runner for shame, Diekman. Come on, buddy. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you almost had the absolute perfect season. He's been unhittable. I mean, he gives up fewer hits than even Hendricks. And, you know, that all is on top of the fact that he was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis as a 10-year-old. And so he's one of those high-risk players who has been outspoken about not just the air quality in Seattle, but also the fact that uh, they're going through the season and it's a difficult season with COVID. You know, a lot of those guys, uh, well, at least a handful of them, decide to sit out the season. He did not, and he didn't just play. He has just been absolutely impossible to hit. You were talking about uh, MVP. I think for Cy Young, I don't know why I've always been this way. And anyone listening, go ahead on Twitter and you know and uh, question my logic if you want to. That's totally fine with me. I would go with Bassett as my Cy Young, just because I always sort of feel like it's weird when a Cy Young goes to a reliever. I know it happens from time to time. I think the MVP for Hendricks, I give it to him just because of it. I believe the bullpen was the most valuable portion of the team, and it's sort of a symbol to give it to him because he had such an outstanding year. And I think he's the best closer in baseball or at least top three, but Bassett is my Cy Young for all the things that you talked about. I don't need to go through too much more. I mean, just the fact that he's the guy who's been the most consistent, you know, he's a guy who uh, seems like comes in important situations, important, uh, you know, series, in a game one comes in slams the door uh, he's not a guy who's that has the most overpowering stuff although his stuff is good 
but he's really, really good also at navigating difficult situations, which I think that's something that the rest of the starters have had a trouble, a little bit of trouble with this year. So a lot of times, pretty much all of them will go through runs of three, four innings where they're almost perfect. And then the bottom falls out and they're unable to sort of steady the ship. Bassett, on the other hand, you know, weird stuff happens. Guys get on base, errors, whatever, misplays. And he's able to always navigate through and get out of those situations. And yeah, so I think he's been the steadying force guy that, uh, you know, leads the the starters in ERA. I think he's fifth in the AL in ERA right now, which is pretty outstanding. And the fact that uh, Bassett was expected to be maybe even like a one of those sort of swingman types, and then he has to be the sort of ace of the rotation is is pretty incredible to me. So I'll give him the Cy Young for that reason. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it or Gosh, I just watched Frankie Montas allow three homers. Uh, I'm not really uh, feeling it for that reason either. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Oakland and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. So go to Roman.com Oakland today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Oakland. GetRoman.com slash Oakland. It is tough because, you know, the awards are are so kind of finicky as to what they might mean, right? You know, an, an MVP, a most valuable player, like who's the guy that kind of keeps the glue together? And uh, the Cy Young would just be best pitcher, I guess, right? And so they are slightly different. And I can I can buy your logic into having, you know, someone win the MVP who's a pitcher but not win the team's Cy Young. So uh, I'll, I'll not go out after you on Twitter on that Thank you. One. Thank you, Melissa. I don't know if I can handle it. My mentions, you know, it's already a, a tire fire right. sometimes. So if I had you after me, then I'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> kind of going into a few other awards. I mean, when coming into this season, one of the biggest uh, storylines that were kind of following the A's was if they were going to have success, their rookies were going to have to carry a big load of it. And obviously one of them and A.J. Puck never got off the mat, unfortunately, with because of the injuries. But kind of look at Sean Murphy and, and Jesus Cesardo and what they've been able to do and, and Jonah Heim and coming up in the last few weeks and, and doing what he's been able to do. You know, I don't know where this team would be without the strength of their rookies. Yeah, I think if you had to just, you know, do a vote and look at it, you know, objectively, I think Luzardo is probably the most productive rookie season of that group. But, 
you got to give some credit to Murphy. I mean, you, we've talked about him before and how much I admire both the way he catches and handles the pitching staff and his arm is just ridiculous. But also, I mean, he's a guy who is an ops plus of 125, which is tops on the team other than Jake Lamb. And that's pretty impressive right there for a guy who kind of had a slow start to the season offensively and was uh, pretty much in a platoon with Austin Allen going on in the beginning. And, you know, when he hits the ball, when he barrels it up, I mean, it's a rocket almost every single time, but also 22 walks in 126 plate appearances. So, you know, even though every single guy in the A's lineup is hitting 247 or below, except for Lamb and LaStella, the new guys, Sean Murphy's hitting 231. I mean, he still has six home runs. He has, you know, a few doubles. And then just his plate discipline has been outstanding. And I think the way that he studied this pitching staff, and this team is built on pitching and defense, and pitching especially, and bullpen pitching especially, and that he's got to catch some pretty nasty lefties in that bullpen. He's got to catch a guy who's a junk baller, Petit. Uh, Soria is a veteran guy, and some of the veteran guys and rookie catchers don't necessarily get along. You can you know look across the bay to Johnny Cueto and Joey Bart for an example of that. And he just is able to navigate every single part of it. And so Lazardo, I think, is is a guy who might end up being the guy who carries the A's if they go on a long postseason run, especially the way that he pitched against the Giants on Saturday and unleashed that new slider. But Murphy is a guy, I think, that you can look at as someone who it's nice that they have him under team control for a while because he's going to be a really good catcher for a long time. I have to give a shout out to Robbie Grossman too, because if you were going to put a comeback player of the year award out there, I think he's the guy that would earn it. And he's somebody that when they brought him back, you know, they could have non-tendered him. And when they decided to go ahead and agree to terms and bring him back, I really couldn't see what role he would bring to the team. You know, I had sort of assumed that Chris Davis would kind of find his way back. And, you know, between Chris Davis and Ramon Laureano and Mark Canna. There was a, a lot going on in the outfield, and uh, you've got Chad Pinder in the background there, and you know, and then all of a sudden, and Stephen Piscotty, of course, and and you know, and then Robbie Grossman, and it was like, where is Robbie Grossman going to play and get enough at bats that he'd be worth the kind of contract for a low budget team like the A's that he got, and yet. You know, he's cooled off a bit lately, but without his offensive contributions, I think this team really would have floundered out of the gate. Yeah, I think Grossman, it's unfortunate that he's cooled off because he was on pace to have a pretty outstanding year. I mean, his numbers were tops in the lineup for quite some time there, and he was a guy who pretty much took away Chris Davis's at-bats for for a pretty much a good portion of the season because Chris Davis, you know, you think he's the guy who always plays against lefties and Grossman's splits against lefties are actually pretty decent. On that same note, I'm going to give a little credit to Mark Canna as well. Mark Canna, power wasn't quite there like it was last year, but he's a really good base runner. He's been solid in the field. And the thing though, mostly that I look at Canna and I always notice every time that I watch the Hayes play, which is every time they play, is that Canna gets these long, long plate appearances that just drag the pitchers out. And so, you know, it seems like I've made this joke all year. Just every single plate appearance he has, it seems like goes nine pitches. You know, he's three and two and he's fouling off pitches. And then he either gets hit or draws a walk, it seems like, half the time. That's not quite the case. But, you know, he, he does get hit quite a bit, him and Loriano. But he's a guy who really is sort of the sort of the ethos of the offense is to draw these starting pitchers out of the game as quickly as possible by 
you make it their pitch counts expand pretty quickly. And when Cannon gets up there and just starts fighting off pitches and fighting off pitches and fighting off pitches. And then next thing you know, you know, the pitcher's got like 42 pitches and they haven't gotten out of the second inning yet. And Canna, I think really is a guy who has been very steady this year, 53 games played, which to me is a big deal in a season where you've had some, you know, Loriano gets suspended, some injuries here and there, you know, Olsen playing every game and Canna playing every game, but one, that part's pretty valuable to me as well. Just that way that he just grinds that bats out is something that I think kind of uh, shows up and down the lineup, but he's the one who probably is the biggest thorn in pitcher's side when it comes to pitch counts. Yeah, you know, back in the late 80s, there was this uh, kind of running thing for, I don't remember if it was three or four years in a row, where whoever Don Baylor signed with, that was the team that was going to make the World Series. And of course, Baylor was sort of famous for being the guy that was hit by pitches at a higher rate than, you know, anybody, I think, in MLB history. And with the A's collecting bruises like they were fashion statements this season with uh, guys with double-digit hit-by-pitches in Laureano and Canna, maybe they can channel their Don Baylor to, to the World Series so we've only got a few more days left of this regular season, and, and we'll be back next week to get us ready for the postseason. And uh, whoever their matchup is going to be right now, it kind of lines up to be the Houston Astros, but we'll see where it all takes us. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back to talk playoffs next week.